We believe running is freedom and empowerment. We believe running solves problems and makes people happy. We even believe that if more people run, the world will be a better place. We believe in running because it is our passion. This is the Big Peach Running Company Run ATL Podcast with your host, Mike Cosentino. From the capital of the South and the host of the 2020 U.S. Olympic Marathon Trials, this is the Run ATL Podcast. My name is Mike Cosentino. What grand fortune I have to be your host. It is also good news that I do not do it alone. I bring a dear friend with me into the studio once again, Dolomite Dave. We are coming down the home stretch. That's right. This is the final week before the big day. The big day. And it could be the big day on Saturday for those Olympic marathon trials. It could be the big day on the 1st of March for everyone who is going to be part of the fun at the Publix Georgia Marathon and Half Marathon and getting their own long distance in. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm running uh, on Sunday. I'm running the Half Marathon. And I I mean, just with all the events that are going on, I'm like, I'm going to be tired, you know, <laughs> starting Sunday morning. I mean, I, you know, that's, the, at that start line, I'm like, I don't know that I'm going to be at 100%. It is not the ideal taper week for us. We're going to be on our feet almost all the time. I would imagine there'll be some early mornings. There'll be some late nights. There'll be lots of places to be. If you are tapering good for you, do not take a page out of our tapering playbook the final week before the Olympic marathon trials and that half and full marathon for the rest of us, for sure. But D2, we are going to finish this strong. We've been taping every single week. If you've not been tracking with us, you have episodes to listen to. Go back, look at your feed. You can check out Jared Ward. You can check out Haley Chura. You can check out Brittany Charbonneau. They are all there. You can go further back, check out Jared Carson. We have been getting ready for this for a long time. And now we bring the final conversation. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is this is fun. I mean, this is going to seem a little kind of, uh, you know, going forward. Not that any every, you know, every guest we have is is just awesome. But to have, you know, Olympic marathon qualifiers of the caliber of a Jared Ward or Molly Huddle, you know, it's like, wow. It's like and, and, you know, we have this event, you know, coming up on the 27th or yeah, the 27th, that Thursday, the 27th. My days are getting mixed up already. <laughs> They're already so, jumbled together. Yeah, Thursday, the 27th, where they will actually be in our Midtown store along with the rest of the Saucony you know, team that will be competing at the trials. And it is just going to be awesome and to, to you know, potentially see history in the making. To meet these individuals is just going to be awesome. And then, you know, after this, you know, we've been taping, you know, having, you know, episodes every week and we're going to go, oh, well, now we're going to go back to every other week again. Hmm, oh, well, you know, so, I mean, I'm sure and I know we've got some great guests that we will have lined up and and, and interviews that obviously will, you know, resonate with all of our listeners. But, man, this has been fun. It has been fun. And you mentioned how we are going to finish so strong. The grand finale of this busy month for us on the Run ATL podcast. D2 mentioned Molly Huddle. She will indeed be part of the fun in our Midtown store on the 27th of February. Before that, though, she's going to come to you in our featured conversation. For those of you who have heard the name but have not heard much about her know that she is already a two-time olympian she has made the team in 2012 and in 2016 perfectly enough she has not made the team previously as a marathoner so this is a new opportunity for her she is a national road champion not just a couple of times but 20 times she went to school not far from where I grew up at the University of Notre Dame, a 10-time All-American there. She, as I mentioned in our conversation, an American record holder, not just once or in one distance, but she was a record holder at the 10,000 meter where she's run 30 minutes and 13 seconds. The American record in the 5K road. Check this time out, D2, 14 minutes and 15 seconds for a 5K on the road and then an American record holder at the half marathon running 67 minutes and 25 seconds. She obviously has to put together a big day at the marathon distance. She was third place in 2016 at the New York City Marathon. We talk about 
her effort in London in 2019. She ran a blistering overseas, two hours, 26 minutes, and 33 seconds. She indicates she's coming to Atlanta healthy, clearly one of the favorites, D2, to make this U.S. Olympic team for 2020 on her way, we believe, but too early to tell for sure to Tokyo. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think at this point, you know, by the time this episode airs, all those athletes will have been, you know, you know, tapering and we'll be taking it kind of easy. And, you know, man, it's like, this is awesome. And we wish them all the best of luck as a lineup at the start line. And, you know, it's going to be an exciting day to, 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 to witness this in our city. And, you know, I mentioned it, you know, four weeks ago when we were starting the, these episodes, you know, I wanted to be here in 96 for the Olympics and missed it. I was in, in uh, Orlando and, and was hoping to work, you know, be up here working in the broadcast industry. And this is as close as I'm going to get to it, you know, and to, to have that opportunity to, to be around these Olympic caliber athletes, you know, and, and qualifiers is just phenomenal. And it's, I think it's a great thing for the city. I think it's great for the running community. I think it's great for just the, you know, the, the tourism and the business that will bring the city. So kudos to the Atlanta Track Club for the work that they've done and, you know, in, in drawing, you know, you know, in petitioning and get, doing all the hard work to get sure. to this point and then to get the athletes here to prepare the city and, and all this. It's just awesome. And they, I, I've, you know, just awesome job. I mean, what can I say? Very, very cool. And so you should have a better taper week than we do if this is you hitting the play button on the 24th or before your own race this upcoming weekend. Get started now. Go get those easy steps in so that you're fully ready. If you're picking this up after the Olympic marathon trials, you'll know how Molly did. But we are going to bring you such a special conversation that we had with her, one for the ages, for Sure, we'll bring it to you right after this brief message. It's winter and that spring half marathon or marathon will be here before you know it. As your runs get longer, you'll need additional fuel to power through those long runs and get you across the finish line. Everyone has different needs and tastes, so we recommend that you experiment with different gels, bars, and hydration products to see what works best for you. Stock up and save. Purchase 10 or more individual packets and save 10%. Buy a box and save 15%. Clubs and training groups can combine their discount for additional savings up to 25% off. Come into any Big Peach running company location and stock up so you're ready for those long runs. And welcome back to the Run ATL podcast. As you could probably tell from our intro, we are so excited to have this conversation. And now joining us from Arizona, it seems Molly Huddle. Welcome to the Run ATL podcast. Thank you so much for spending this time with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, we talked about a lot of your American records, those places where you've had such notable accomplishments. But before we reference those again, or before we talk about specifics associated with certain things that you've done in your career, let's go way back, back to perhaps upstate New York and what it was that just got you off on this road to being this world-class runner and some of the things that you can still recall from your earliest days when this sport just started to mean so much to you. What was it that you feel like started that fuel for this fire that still burns so much? Um, well, my earliest running memories actually were road races. So I, I did organize track and field when I was in uh, middle school. But before that, I actually would just hop into a couple of road races in the summer with my dad. Um, so it's fitting that I'm doing the marathon now. <laughs> and really, I have always loved, you know, I have a, a long track career, but I've always loved fitting road races into my season. Um, I just I feel like that's I, I just grew up running on the roads, you know, and jumping in those road 5Ks were good memories. And the atmosphere is something that I really love the way that, you know, you have hundreds of other people on the start line with you and you're running through a city that is really proud to show off their all their best um, features with the road race and you have people lining the streets. And so that's kind of how I came into the sport. And so um, I'm kind of still there, I guess, now when you look at it that way. <laughs> 
Well, I love the fact that you mentioned your dad and one of the stories that I saw in some of the prep that I did for this conversation back at high school. And you mentioned your affinity for the roads and the fact that you would do local road races. Is it true that you were on a one runner women's cross country team back in high school? Yeah, that is kind of a weird um, occurrence, I guess. We didn't really have a team score or anything because it was just me. But um, yeah, my senior year, I I had run track and had made it to the national championships in track uh, my junior year. And I had heard about this Foot Locker national championship for cross country, um, but I didn't have a cross country team at my school. So I was trying to like I really wanted to make it there it sounded amazing um and so I had to start a cross-country team and my dad actually coached me for that season and uh yeah we did we did some meets I just was the only person that would run for Elmira Notre Dame High School and um I had a pretty I think I was I was undefeated until I actually got to like the Locker regional meet, but I did make it to that meet and uh, it was a really fun experience. And I was so excited when I got to college and had a, had a great team to run with for cross country and had a four, four uh, full seasons of cross country. So that was just like really a treat for me. <laughs> well, that's awesome. And the reason that I, I love that story, of course, is that you knew what you wanted and you put it out there. And I think it's great advice, whether it's when you are in high school or quite frankly, for all of us, as adults, sometimes, and D2 knows that there's an author that I have a particular affinity by the name of Seth Godin, who has some coaching that always says, most of the time, you have to pick yourself, that you can't wait for somebody to give you that job offer to suggest that you've gotten into this particular school or that this new opportunity is now yours because somebody gives it to you, that the best, perhaps the best feeling opportunities are the ones where you say, I'm making it happen because this is important to me, and I'm not going to wait for somebody else to invite me or to pick me. I am picking me. And you did that. And you are very humble, of course, because along with that season was a state championship. Of course, it preceded your career. I grew up in Northern Indiana. So your career at the University of Notre Dame. So if we take you from Elmira and that season from Foot Locker into college, obviously numerous All-American distinctions and an opportunity, to your point, to train on a team and now go from being that perhaps lone runner with those special memories you still have with you and your dad, but on a team that is well-recognized, obviously a major university, what were some of the adjustments you had to make to be not just a real influencer on that team, but to feel really, really comfortable and know this is what you wanted to continue to do? Yeah, it was, it was a good experience at Notre Dame. It actually, the team, the cross country team on the women's side hadn't made it to the national meet um, when I was looking at Notre Dame as a recruit, but I, I had always wanted to go there and we actually ended up having a really good freshman class. So we, they went from not making the meet to, we were third my freshman year in the country. So it was really cool to like build that and feel like um, we were working together and doing something special. And it just, it was like really motivating. Um, and I was already excited to, like I said, to be on a team full of people and to <laughs> have the people to train with and actual organized, like we actually were, I was like running for a team score. <laughs> so that was a, some automatic extra um, motivation. Um well, one of the things yeah. that's interesting for us is this particular time, obviously it's the Olympic marathon trials, but it's also track and field season here in the state of Georgia. And when I think about the University of Notre Dame, obviously your major, your degree, it was it's not a place I know just from having grown up in the shadows of that particular campus that you can't just show up even as an athlete, a recruited scholarship athlete, and assume they're going to give you a pass in the classroom. So if we think about, yes, 10-time All-American and obviously a world-class runner in development, there's also the other side of it. Speaking to just all those student athletes right now that are trying to balance getting the most out of that track and field season that is part of who they are at this very moment, and yet still making the grades in the classroom or enjoying their friends or making the most out of these years that are high school and college. Any advice that you can still recall that was given to you or any advice that you would share with any of us, including those on teams right now, whether at the University of Notre Dame or somewhere else? 
Yeah, definitely. It was a intense academic institution. And I was a, I was a good student in high school, but it was another level at Notre Dame. Like I, I probably got in more on my running than I did on my grades. And I picked a really challenging major. I was a biology major and it definitely, there were some classes where I was just like, it was sink or swim. And I was like very much sinking because I had put so much um, attention and energy into running and there were, you're competing with students in the classroom too, and they're doing nothing but studying the non-athletes. So as a student athlete, you really have to um, budget your time well and efficiently. And also like, I learned to like, try and just like ask for help more often as far Mm -hmm. as like getting tutoring or like going in and speaking with like professors and teachers and um, just because you do learn like from distance running, you're like, okay, like, I'm empowered. I can do all this amazing stuff by myself. And you take that agency with you. But then there are some times where you're like, I like the school side of university. I was like, okay, I need help (laughs) with this subject or I need help with like this paper or something. So I think it definitely taught me to kind of try and do that more. Um, Just like use the resources there and um, just kind of see how the the other like a lot of the girls on my team were bio majors too and I was like okay how do they structure their day like how do they budget their time because they seem to be doing well and and they they were helpful too also so I think just a lot of that just kind of um learning how to budget your time well and just kind of seeing like what resources are out there and recognizing that like it is it's hard to be a student athlete but it is really rewarding and it prepares you really well for like life outside of school too. That's awesome. I mean, even as a parent, D2, it's so cool to hear that there's, I mean, messages that we can provide to our children or certainly for those student athletes who are listening. It is not easy. Molly just confirmed that. So if you're thinking, man, this is hard to do both. You're right. It is. Molly's confirmed that that is true. But then that advice that you just shared, Molly, so cool to be willing to ask for help. And it sounds like you found it, whether it was from those professors, whether it was from those teammates, whether it was from others who are part of your journey, that they were willing to help you get through those hard instances that you knew would be part of it. So that's that's awesome. Something we'll take with us. Well, you, of course, were intent on making the most out of that running. And now two-time Olympian, for those who do not know, Molly was indeed a member of the U.S. Olympic team in 2012, was again in 2016. And now there are no, of course, gimmies, right, Molly? It's 2020. We're looking at a different discipline here in the marathon. You've been at the Olympics for both the 5,000 and the 10,000. Instead of just pulling out your accomplishments at the games or even the trials that precede your upcoming trip to Atlanta, let's talk about your mindset now, knowing that the way that the Olympic team is chosen, just because you have so many wonderful memories of wearing that uniform, of holding that flag, you've still got to do the hard work on February 29th. You've still got to put it all out there and make the team the same way anybody else has that opportunity to do so. What's kind of going through your mind now? Now here we are with that third opportunity to be part of the team, but of course with no guarantees. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's why they call Team USA the hardest team to make because yeah, you need a qualifying time, but you also need to show up on the day and be top three. And it doesn't matter what's going on in your life. It doesn't matter what what happens to you the day before. It doesn't matter. Like you have to be ready. They don't care if you've meddled before, or if you've gone to the Olympics before, like team USA is the best team they can possibly put together. So I know that I don't take that for granted. And especially with the marathon being a new event, there's so many variables. So we're just, we're trying to get prepared and, um, you know, we have really great marathoners to choose from. Like I keep saying we could send two full teams and they would be medal contenders, (laughs) like everyone on it. So that's a good place to be, but you also have to, um, really just show up and be ready to perform on that day and just treat it like any, like I've. I've gotten ready for major marathons and you're running against the best in the world. And this is really no different. So, um, yeah, that's what we've been thinking. It would definitely be amazing to make a third team, but like, you just can't really call anything as decided until the day's over. So much could happen. So that's, we're just going into it with that mindset, just be ready, be ready to compete the way you always do. And, um, 
we're going to have a good team no matter what way you slice it. So <laughs> I hope I'm on it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a great way to look at it. Well, it seems like you are ready to go. Certainly a, an impressive result in Houston not too long ago, but perhaps more candidly, how would you tell us your feeling relative to just your health, your readiness, perhaps any of the anxiety or nervousness or just enthusiasm that comes being this close to when the starter's gun goes off? How do you feel like just individually it's all coming together? Yeah, well, at this point, um, we have pretty much our last hard week of training is this week. And so we only have maybe one hard workout left. And then you start to wind things down to freshen up. So um, we've I've completed everything on the schedule. <laughs> and some, went, some days, some weeks, I was more tired than others. And um, every buildup I've done has been a little bit different. This is my fifth one. So it's hard to compare previous like fitness levels, but we definitely have tried to get ready for like the specifics of the course. You know, we tried to find sort of a rolling course. We, we checked out the course back in November and we kept that in mind. And, um, we were trying to kind of just target workouts for the way we think the race will go. And so uh, the specific preparations are there. Like, I, it's really hard to say I'm in X, Y, Z shape as far as a time, but, um, time isn't really what matters anyway on that day. The, the marathon trials are very much about place. So, and just racing and competing and um, just competing your way onto the team. So that's kind of what we've, what we've prepared for and um, we'll see how it all stacks up. I feel like I've gotten some really good mileage in the last couple of weeks. And so, yeah, that's, that's a huge part of the marathon. And I think this course is going to favor strength as well. So um, we definitely tried to focus on that. That's awesome. And we mentioned this in our intro, but as a reminder, Molly is or has been the American record holder at the 5,000, at the 10,000, and at the, at the half marathon distance. And now here we go, 26.2 for her on February 29th, has run two hours and 26 minutes and 33 seconds in 2019 did that in london so obvious range from molly just mentioned the term strength one of the things molly you may not even know but the marathon and half marathon for the rest of us is actually the day after the trials and i know that you can appreciate that even though your time will be much 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 faster than those that are getting turned in on sunday march 1st Everyone who is doing that race, doing either the half or the full, listening to this broadcast can appreciate wanting and ultimately needing to feel strong at the start line and hopefully most of the way to the finish line. You've not been shy about your belief that nutrition and the training that's not necessarily on the road or the track matters. We're all actually kind of coming into that home stretch of before our race. Yours is going to be on a national broadcast and where you have all kinds of people curious as to what the results. Most of our listeners, no national broadcast, no screaming fans, no American flags everywhere, but still going to be quite a journey on that Sunday. What are you doing nutritionally in these last couple of weeks that would also have application potentially to the rest of us who are doing a race that weekend? We just aren't competing for a spot on the Olympic team when we do it. Yeah, nutrition is definitely important. I get a lot of questions about it. I think especially with the marathon, there's like in there's race day nutrition and there's just a lot of science behind that side of things. And also you're just training so hard that like fueling is it it is something you have to put some mindfulness behind. So um especially if you're like working and you just have family commitments and time constraints, like you almost need to plan your nutrition strategy like ahead of time in the week to make sure that like if you're training a lot, like you don't want to be just like scrambling for anything. So um, mostly I've been like, when I'm in a marathon buildup, I do increase my carbohydrate intake and I just, I tend to eat like fairly healthy anyway, like a lot of whole grains and fruit and stuff for breakfast. And then, um, I definitely try and get enough protein. I usually eat like, um, you know, beef, chicken or fish and just rotate throughout the week. But, um, as far as actual like training, I've been practicing with, my um like fluid and gel strategy for the race this whole build up just to get used to it and i think that helps a lot like the studies i've seen so i'm sponsored by gatorade endurance and that's what i've been using but they also have like 
a lot of, um, they've done a lot of research uh, through the Gatorade Sports Science Institute. And it's actually, you can go online and look up a lot of um, like scientific studies that they've done just about how optimal carbohydrate load is like higher than you would think. So if you can train yourself to take like maybe a little more um, during your buildup, you'll have a better finish. Like your, your last 10 K will be better. And that's what everyone wants in a marathon. Like you don't want to be hitting the wall. And so I've been using um, like, I alternate between gels and fluids and we've been practicing that. And I think I'm going to try and even take on like one or two extra gels at the end, if I can, and just see if that, that really helps because um, from the numbers I've looked up, like I'm not quite hitting what the optimum one is. Um, And I feel comfortable with it. I've used that strategy in my last two marathons as far as like the Gatorade endurance gels. And they actually now have a caffeine gel, which is pretty exciting. Cause I know that can help a lot with people later in the race, just to give you that boost. Um, and then as far as recovery, like that's probably the other side of nutrition that's important with the marathon. Like, I think it's important to just, it's hard to be perfect with nutrition, but one of the things you can do is like within half an hour after a workout, make sure you're getting that like, three to one carb to protein ratio snack in right away. Um, And then even if you get a little delayed with like getting to your next meal, you know, you're at least repairing what you just broke down in the workout. And so you're recovering um, optimally from that workout that day. And it's like, just have those snacks on hand. Cause I know a lot of people have to like, they get their run in and they got to go drive to work. They got to drive to wherever they're going, drop the kids off, like just have that with you. And um, that's actually super simple, but it's, you know, whether it's a glass of chocolate milk or it's a protein bar, like it does make a big difference the next day. Um, so just little things like that, like the marathon is just a lot of work, physical work, and you want to make sure you're rebuilding (laughs) and, um, fuel is kind of like one of the make or break things on race day. It's unlike any other race in that way. That is so true. And I love that phrase, make or break. And what you've reminded us is it's not just, well, have you used this particular product? Obviously, that's good advice. We dispense that in our stores. But you also indicate that getting comfortable by taking more, oftentimes you need more than what you think you do. But then practicing that, whether it has to do with timing, whether it has to do with total calories, whether it has to do with the composition of the fuel that you're choosing, it is not just saying, well, I trained on a certain product, so that's what I'll have with me on the race course. Certainly that's good advice, but it is much more complex than that to get it right. Go back and listen to what Molly just said, because she gives us that primer we all need, because whether it's that half or full marathon, it is unlike going out for our weekday run or a shorter distance for sure. Molly, you did mention that post-race, we are not going to push back against the guidance relative to protein or some of those specific food choices. But we did see in runner's world today that you noticed what is across the street from the finish line and some comments that you made about what might be an appropriate post-race trip to the Waffle House. Is that a fair statement? Did somebody give me the right cue (laughs) on your comments? That is right. We toured the course a couple of months ago and we went, they were like showing us where the finish line is. And I noticed how close we were to the Waffle House in Centennial's uh, Square and um, or Olympic Park. And I was like, oh, brunch is always nice after a long run. So that's convenient. You can just walk right in and hopefully people will be in a good mood and celebrating. And um, <laughs> they have a great view of the finish line in there. <laughs> yes, they do. So now I have to ask you this. And You may know this from your trips to Atlanta, but there is another breakfast chain. Some might say, you know, what a great brunch, like you were kind enough to say about Waffle House. Others might say, you know, Southern Greasy Spoon will not be the ones to determine what the best classification is. But there's another one that like Waffle House, and I am playing no favorites here, but like Waffle House, multiple restaurants throughout the Southeast Based in Atlanta, in terms of where their headquarters are, do you know the name of that particular chain of primarily breakfast-type restaurants outside a Waffle House? Do you know the name of that one? 
Um, I'm not sure if this is where you're going with this, but I remember in college we passed some road signs for Huddle House. Yes. All right. Good. <laughs> you are right. That's where I was going. So when I saw that you had mentioned the Waffle House, I'm like, well, that shows how humble she is. Instead of saying she's going to the one with her namesake, I have no idea if there's a royalty, if you make the team and show up at Huddle House or not, but you've <laughs> instead chosen the much bigger and I think the one that has supported the running culture in and around Atlanta even better in that is Waffle House. Okay. And there are going to be other questions, just so you know. I'm going to go ahead and get you on the edge of your seat that we're going to ask you before we let you go. But you did mention that Gatorade Endurance is a sponsor of yours. There's another sponsor of yours who I know you are so proud of and, quite frankly, has been an awesome partner for us through this buildup to the Olympic Marathon Trials. We're doing a VIP viewing party that we've told all of our listeners about on the morning of the trials. And obviously, once that race begins and into the afternoon, and that is Saucony. And it seems like everywhere I go, even on your own website, and for those who are curious what that is, certainly check out runmollyhuddle.com. But even on that website, you refer to yourself so proudly as a Saucony athlete. Yes, a two-time Olympian. Yes, so many times a national champion, All-American, all the other things that you have done. But you say very proudly, a Saucony athlete. And at this point, with all your accomplishments, I'm sure you could almost pick who you would want to be associated with, the brands that you would want to affiliate your name and your training. Give us a better understanding of where that obvious sense of pride and your relationship with Saucony is and why it's so special. Yeah, uh, it's such a long uh, history with Saucony. I've been with them since 2007 when I came out of school. And so that's a long time. It's, um, you know, 13, nearly 13 years uh, this summer. And they've been so supportive of me from the start. They have supported me from being a, a good college runner to being a, a great national runner and, a, and someone who can compete on the world stage. So um, that's, that's something that they, uh, um, that, you know, they take care of their athletes as whole people, which I've always really appreciated. And they are an innovative company that's always trying to support us in chasing whatever dreams we have on the track or the road. So, um, yeah, it's been great. And I love being so close when I am home in Rhode Island, I'm only about 45 minutes from the office. So mm -hmm. it's, it's always a good chance to go like test products and give feedback. And I think that's been, you know, a lot of their athletes reside in the, in the new England area, but not everyone. And so it's been cool to have that access to them my entire career, basically. Well, we talked to Jared Ward a number of weeks ago, and he was giving us a little bit of a preview of some product that he would be wearing, and of course, that ultimately Saucony would be sharing with the general marketplace. But what are some things that you're thinking about, even just from an equipment standpoint? Of course, we've got plenty of footwear geeks, rightfully so, who listen to this broadcast. Anything you can share with us in terms of what you'll be wearing on race day and some of the reasons that you chose what you did choose or what you are still perhaps thinking about as your choice for that race day attire and part of what gives you the confidence that you'll be on your third Olympic team? Yeah. So like fuel the shoes in the marathon are like a whole another level of <laughs> like thought <laughs> process behind that. And what you need out of it is different than what you need. Like any other race, I almost was just like, yeah, like this, this spike will work or this flat will work. Go to, I don't even think about it. And once I ran my first half marathon, I was like, it's something a little bulkier than the endorphin pro, which I would wear everywhere if I could. Um, so I moved up to the type A and I've been wearing the type A. It's a combination of the type A technically type A sole with a freedom upper that is sold as the MH one. <laughs> and they basically just made it so it would accommodate my foot better, but it like, is it, it was the shoe I wore for my last four marathons. And now they have the endorphin pro out, which is competing with like sort of the next percent and vapor fly and all, all those carbon plate foam shoes. Mm -hmm. So I'm still kind of deciding if I'm going to wear that. Like I, I have like a ankle issue that is um, kind of exacerbated by like high, like higher sold shoe, like thick sold shoes. So I think I might stick with my like traditional, like, type a combo uh for the marathon I, we're deciding the next couple of days but that's what i felt the best in 
And I think at the end of the day, you got to go with comfort. So especially in a marathon, <laughs> that's well, what I'm thinking. Type A. <laughs> type A, right on. That's a, uh, a term that's been around and certainly a shoe that has had appearances at Big Peach Running Company for quite some time. For those who have not yet put this on their calendar, Molly will be with us in our Midtown store, as well as some serious refreshments and snacks February the 27th, that'll begin in the evening. Check out BigPeachRunningCo.com for all of the details. Molly, one of the things that I love about you is sometimes I see interviews and there's this soft-spoken, seemingly always humble athlete with this incredibly lengthy list of accomplishments. And yet then there's also this person who wonderfully takes stands on things that are important, are important to so many, even if it's not all of us looking at it or having the same level of exposure. Not too long ago, you wrote an article about doping and what just seems to be one of those things that some want to talk about perhaps too often, some perhaps don't ever want to talk about or would just rather sweep under the rug. And in the Providence Journal, you took a very important position and indicated that it is now time to take a stand. Before I pull out a quote from the article that was there and that I believe that you wrote, I'd love to get your impressions, just maybe generally speaking, as we go into 2020, whether it is domestically or globally, if you believe we're making progress on this important and if not addressed, perhaps very debilitating to the sport, quite frankly, to the impressions we all have of amateur athletics and the Olympic Games, if we're making any progress in this area and what you would say still needs to be done or needs to be done in the somewhat near term. Yeah, I I actually do think we are making progress, um, like nationally and globally on, the t- on it, but I think anti-doping can always do more. I think... Um, so for example, that Rodchenkov anti-doping act is like a, it, it's about, um, an act that's trying to be passed in the Senate, uh, in the U S to involve law enforcement in, um, doping cases. And so that would, it wouldn't throw the person doing drugs in jail. It would just allow sort of like search and seizure and witness protection for whistleblowers and restitution of prize money and things like that. So it, it would help, um, because previously that like, wasn't wasn't able to happen and it just limited I think some of the um sort of penalties and involvements and discuss like breaking open doping rings and things like that but I think globally we could always it it could always be better as far as um you know testing isn't quite done equally in all countries and I think that the the procedure and the frequency and, and all of it so I think we could fix that Um, certainly you see with Russia, some countries are known to be, you know, just people know that they're violating doping codes. Mm -hmm. And so, um, if you know that things, you, you would hope things to be done, uh, for that. And of course, also, I think like lifetime bans for an infraction are reasonable. Like, I think that'd be a better deterrent. So there's always, there's things that could be done, but like, there are things in that are in process right now, which is encouraging. And I mean, I know, nationally like there are a lot of athletes you can root for that are clean that you'll feel good about and who are winning medals so I don't even want to say that that's not possible or that the sport is in dire straits in that way but certainly the deck is stacked against a lot of the athletes and and so um you know they're overcoming odds those athletes that you see doing that and it it just isn't it could be better and so I don't want to you know it's a topic worth speaking out about because it's things that need to change. You need to talk about, but I don't want to imply that the sport is hopeless. I wouldn't still be in it. I wouldn't still be fighting for it if I thought it was hopeless. So that's kind of my stance on it. And I think, um, you know, there are a lot of people that feel the same way. And so once you get a critical mass, I think that's when things start to get done. And I think we're, we're reaching that. So that's always good. That's awesome. Here, here for sure. I'm going to read this. And it comes from the article that is easy to find, we'll include in our show notes. But Molly says, I know amazing athletes who are awarded medals long after they retired. Sure, the delay cost them money, fame, and a special moment on the medal stand. But more importantly, they lost the chance to share their experiences and the lessons they've learned with their communities. They lost the chance to prove that hard work 
and perseverance are all it takes to succeed. And when we think about young people, when we think about communities everywhere, when we think about the importance of sharing stories that motivate all of us to be better, but to be better as ourselves tomorrow than what we were today, Molly, you are so right about that. This is an issue that will continue to pop up, perhaps even more so as we make our way towards Tokyo this summer. I think we'll start to hear more about this in our own legislation here at home. If you are not particularly well-educated on it, certainly check out the article that we will include. Think about who your congressperson might be. Let's get behind this to make sure that, as Molly said, we are making progress, but not just for now, but for now forward. We continue to make progress until it is that we have nothing but clean athletes globally on the stage that they are presented. So Molly, from that topic that certainly can be a little bit heavy, but we are so proud of you for talking a little bit about with us, I want to see how ready you are to come to Atlanta. We've got a couple of questions. We asked your teammate, Jared Ward. We have been interviewing Olympic trials qualifiers all year long, and we are asking all of our athletes that we have the good fortune of welcoming very soon these same questions, but we're going to put you on the hot seat. Would you allow us to do that? Uh, I'll do my best. All right. Well, let's see how she does. We'll eventually tally up all the results. I have to say this first question, or maybe it's not the first one, but one of these questions, we've had some unbelievable uh, answers, if for no other reason, because of the fact that uh, not all of these athletes are from Atlanta or get to come as often as maybe even what they would like. But nonetheless, let's find out how well you know our fair city. So first of all, which team in Atlanta was the last professional sports team to win their respective championship? I know you're a New Englander. I probably do not need to remind you that the Patriots did take our chance at Super Bowl glory a few years away in those final moments and in the second half. But what was the last professional sports team in Atlanta that won its respective championship? Um, I'm not a great person to ask about sports <laughs> other than track and field. So I have no idea. I, honestly... So that's, no that's good. That's part of why you come on the Run ATL podcast, <laughs> so you can feel even more prepared for your trip to Atlanta, not just while you're on the course and impressing everyone with your pace per mile, but <laughs> this is something that nobody in terms of this little month that we've had to get everybody ready has answered correctly, and we want people to know Atlanta is also a soccer town. The Atlanta United, our MLS team, did win uh... the championship in 2018. We, of course, have heard answers like the Falcons, like the Braves, that's not true. Not that we're not rooting for them in 2020, but the Atlanta United is the last professional sports team in Atlanta just a couple of years ago to win its title. All right, we'll go in a slightly different direction, taking you back to something that's at least Olympic-related. After the 1996 Centennial Olympic Games, Olympic Stadium, and I understand you were much younger then. That was quite a while ago now. By the time we get to 2020, it'll hard to believe, almost 25 years ago. But after those 1996 Centennial Olympic Games, Olympic Stadium was converted into the new home of the Atlanta Braves and was named after the then team owner and the founder of CNN, among some other media entities. Who is the former team owner of the Atlanta Braves and that media magnet who founded CNN? Oh, gosh. I know I should know this because when we toured the course, we were talking about it. I don't know. I do have memories of watching the 96 Olympics. I don't remember. All right. So the, the, that's, that's okay. And that might be, I was saying, oh, she's from the University of Notre Dame. She spent time in Northern Indiana. She's going to get this one. So I love the fact that you're willing to admit right away. It's like, oh, I forgot. That's good. That means you're human like the rest of us. It was Ted Turner. Now I have yes, to admit, this has okay. been a fun question for us. One of your co-athletes who will be at the starting line gave us Walter Cronkite as the answer. So I was like, not quite, but that was a good answer. <laughs> Somebody else who trains in Montana gave us the answers like, well, he's everybody's neighbor where I live because he is the landest, uh, largest landowner in Montana. So she got it right, but not because of CNN, but because of how much land he actually owns in her training state and home state. So, okay, we're not going to suggest that you haven't gotten any right. We're going to go for it again. Second to last question, Molly, my guess is that you aren't going to have much time now to be the spectator. You've been to Atlanta a couple of times to get familiar with the course, but spectating will not be your gig on the 29th. So let's get this out of the way right now. There are three famous landmarks that I'm going to give you. You tell me which 
of these three, or perhaps all of them, or maybe none of them, are actually on the course. So here are the three landmarks. Tell me whether or not they're on the course and whether or not you're going to blast by them on February 29th. First of all, the national park that represents the birthplace of Martin Luther King Jr. Secondly, the presidential library that displays the works of our 39th U.S. President Jimmy Carter. And then lastly, maybe the famous, the most famous of all Southern manuscripts, Gone with the Wind, written by Margaret Mitchell and where she wrote that masterpiece. Which of those three or which ones of those three are on your course? Well, I remember when we were doing the tour, they mentioned that the birthplace of Martin Luther King was on the course. Um, and I'm just going to go ahead and say the Presidential Library... I'm going to say all three are on the course because Atlanta has a lot of history. <laughs> it does have a lot of history. Hopefully you'll have an extra day or so. You'll have to go see the Presidential Library for Jimmy Carter on your own because it is not on the course, but you are right about the Margaret Mitchell House. So you will see the National Park for the birthplace of Martin Luther King Jr. and the Margaret Mitchell House where Gone with the Wind was written. And uh, then maybe you'll have to make some time on your own to go see what Jimmy Carter was all about in those four years he was in the Oval Office. All right, most importantly, last question for you, and hopefully this will be a great way for you to give all of our listeners something to think about between now and when you get to town. If I think about how proud I know D2 and I are of Atlanta's role as the host for this and just, you know, staunch citizens of the great state of Georgia and the city of Atlanta. We want to do everything we possibly can to make this such a special weekend. So what would you say to all of us, to all of our citizens and the visitors who will be in town that weekend, heck, even run ATL Nation listening right now, that we could do for you to make your trip and these trials in Atlanta as wonderful as possible? Um, well, if you can't, control the weather. I'm guessing that's a no. <laughs> That'd be my first choice. I guess second choice is just, um, yeah, show up and cheer for us on the 29th and uh, yell my name. If I look bad, tell me to keep going. If I look good, say good job. <laughs> awesome. Well, we can do that. And D2 has a lot of pull. He might be able to take a weather request. What kind of weather are you hoping for? <laughs> I'm hoping for like 50 degrees and a little overcast. Okay. It's a <laughs> possibility in Atlanta. <laughs> All right. That's good. In, in Atlanta, and you may know this, in late February, early March, we can get anything from teens and yeah. nasty precipitation all the way to mid-60s or 70s, certainly by midday and when this race is going on. So we will be keeping our fingers crossed for a little bit of overcast and that 50-degree temperature you're looking for. Since you're joining us on February 27th, you'll see where we'll be watching the trial, so you'll know where to look. And I can promise you we'll have a big crowd out there yelling for Molly Huddle to have the just absolute race of her life and perhaps as much fun as she's ever had on a course. That would be amazing. <laughs> Molly, thank you so very much for being part of the Run ATL podcast. We wish you all of the best between now and when you are in Atlanta. And of course, we are absolutely rooting for you to make your third Olympic team once that gun goes off and you make your way towards Centennial Olympic Park. Yeah, thanks, guys. It is our pleasure. And we'll be right back after this very brief message. Get your feet into the all-new Saucony Endorphin Pro, available exclusively at our Big Peach Midtown location on February 27th and 28th. Using speed roll geometry, these carbon-plated shoes deliver a pop at toe-off to help you feel fast. The ultralight Power Run PB cushioning combined with a track spike-inspired upper means this shoe was designed to go fast. Make plans to purchase the Saucony Endorphin Pro on February 27th as quantities are limited until the national release in June. And welcome back to the Run ATL podcast. D2, so cool. And what an awesome way to finish this flurry of Olympic trials qualifier interviews. Molly Huddle, what did you think? Well, I think, you know, it's interesting that even at that level, at that caliber of an athlete, right, you know, going for the Olympics, the most important thing was shoe comfort, mm. right? I mean, we tell that to, to guess all the time, but, and even at that level, the choice came down to what feels comfortable on race day. 
That's awesome. What a great reminder, whether it is time to go around the block one more time or make your final preparations for your own race this upcoming weekend. And D2, now as we kind of sail into the sunset on February, at least from the broadcast perspective, we get one last chance to remind all of our friends at the Run ATL podcast, all of those citizens that we join in calling the great city of Atlanta home to encourage them to be part of the fun, to be part of history. What would you say before we wrap for the final time this month that has been so special, so much work, but also really, really special and part of a memory that we'll have for a long time? What I want to see is I want to see, much like the athletes you know, have requested for everyone to be out in the course cheering, I mean, I want to see just the city of Atlanta just come out and just come out in droves. I mean, I want to see the, the – I don't want to see a single section of the course empty without anyone cheering. I think that will say a lot about who we are and as far as you know, the city coming out to support this event, um, for us to have been – you know calling us, you know, Running City USA, a, a term that the track club has coined as a way of helping to promote running in Atlanta. I think, man, we have got to come out. We've got to come out and support this. So if you're a runner, a walker, a just a running enthusiast, even if you, you know, don't even run, but have an inkling of, hey, that's kind of a cool thing to do. If you got nothing to do on that Saturday, you know, and you're like, what can I do for free? <laughs> come out <laughs> to downtown Atlanta. Come out to the course. Come out and cheer because it is history in the making. You know, and, and Atlanta is part of it as the road to Tokyo. You know, as these athletes prepare to to represent the USA in Tokyo this summer at the at the Summer Olympic Games is just so cool. You have to be part of it. A city with Olympic legacy, a race for Olympic future. If you've not already checked out Atlanta2020trials.com, please do so. You'll get all the information, including where you can get on the course, how you can get there as easily as possible. Learn more about all of the competitors. Certainly take part in the fan zone that will be up and running that particular week. We'll include Atlanta2020trials.com in our show notes, but you'll want to check that out at least one more time between now and the 29th. As D2 said so eloquently, this is our opportunity to shine and to support, so let's do just that. For those of you who need this reminder, just one more time, know that you can be part of the fun on February 20 seventh in our midtown store plenty to celebrate and cheer there a little more molly huddle a little more jared ward other athletes plenty some plenty of snacks and refreshments the endorphin term you've heard a few times that will be there and only there until june and of course d2 you and i'll have a lot of our team in place you and i will personally be there that evening it's going to be a great evening for sure but now we got to sign off. We have to say goodbye to the Olympic Marathon Trials Month for the Run ATL podcast. The only thing I will say, once again, thank you for all the work that you've done. None of this would have been possible without your expertise and participation. So you now, even though it wasn't coming from Orlando in 1996, <laughs> I can tell you, you have made a mark this month, my friend. Thank you again. Well, thank you. And I mean, it's been fun and I look forward to, you know, doing more of these and obviously meeting hopefully you know you know the stalking athletes will be there signing autographs you know maybe you and i will sign one or two <laughs> <laughs> well and you've got sunday so all the best to you on sunday at your race we've got our own mileage to cover that day. that's right you're you're doing the full so i'll be i'll be waiting uh, at the finish line with a a cold beverage <laughs> i will look forward to that and i will look forward to coming back in march back on our every two week schedule we will not be gone for long it has been such a privilege to be part of your lead up this month so please do join us for many more great conversations as we head into spring and for the remainder of 2020 in the meantime we'll remind you but once again the olympic marathon trials men's and women's on february 29th check out atlanta 2020 trials.com and of course as we say as we certainly mean may your best miles be those covered on foot